I think this is the tragedy that, you know, faces us in the continent throughout. What happened at the attainment of independence post-1960 in most African countries is that we inherited institutions in whose design were intended to perpetuate the colonial project. Now, universities in the continent are part of the colonial machinery. They are intent is to enable colonial domination. Because colonialism was not sustained just by the barrel of the gun. There is something else that made colonialism possible. It is what I call cognitive domination. It is when you, when you dominate people cognitively such that you structure the way in which they think. Not only do they think, but the way in which they think about themselves and their relationship with themselves and then their relationship to others and then their relationship to the world. Universities were particularly instrumental in this project of colonial domination. What happened post-independence is that there was an opening up of these institutions, but we did not change the motive for their establishment. So, for instance, there is a certain right, the right to produce knowledge and to shape society through thought. That right was never democratized post-independence. All that happened is that we opened the doors. Black people walked into these institutions as physical entities. And we thought of these universities as places where we go and receive an already existing knowledge. We never thought of ourselves as bearing the responsibility to go and produce that knowledge and then use that thought in order to shape society. What are we then saying about those institutions now, that A, they have not evolved with the socio-political landscape, and can we call them legitimate? The concepts that we are using are themselves indicative of cognitive. Now, the socio-political landscape that you are talking about is not our determination. The first thing we must ask is, what is our reality? What do we want to imagine our lives as black people to be? And then we can, once we answer that question, those institutions must be made to fit in synchronously, you know, with that project. Because when you say that have they evolved with the socio-political landscape. The socio-political landscape is externally determined for us. We live in a modern capitalist world. Now, capitalism is by nature a racist system that, you know, dominates against black people. So for as long as we want to adapt to a capitalist modernist society, it means that we are going to remain at a disadvantage because we are integrated as black people, as African people, were integrated into modern capitalism as drawers of water and hewers of wood, as less than human. I'm glad that you say that, uh, though, Doctor, because I, I then must ask the question that to talk about evolution, is it necessarily repelling that which is intrinsic, which is organic in terms of our own knowledge systems and previous knowledge production? And does that mean that we cannot learn from what we have undergone within the years of colonization? There is no culture that exists in isolation. There is no culture that is immune from external influence. 
worst of all, us, the African people or the black colonized, not only were our cultures brought into contact with external and Western cultures, our cultures were forcibly brought into contact, you know, with these cultures. But here is the point about external influence or culture contact. It is that when you have a culture that is conscious of itself, it is then able, when it comes into contact with another culture, to distill that other culture using its own concepts and categories. It is then able to say, we like this from that other culture, but these other aspects of that culture does not fit with our own culture, and therefore we shall not you know, take that. Now, the problem with us is that our cultures are a bottomless pit. We accept everything. Give you an example, very sad example. You have black people in this country who talk about the institution of Ilobolo as the buying of women. Now, how could a people who had no concept of commodity value buy other people? Because when you buy, you buy something that has a commodity value. We never had systems that had a commodity value, that apportioned to things a commodity value. But because we use categories that are given to us to think about our own reality, we then accept the authority of those categories. But if we had remained, you know, within our cultures as spaces of thinking, we would then be able to think about what we come into contact with from the standpoint of our culture. Let's then juxtapose these exogenous models of institutions that exist and what the role uh, that we had accorded them in terms of African knowledge systems uh, prior to colonizations. Are they completely at odds? Do they converge at some point? And what do we need to do to improve it if we're talking about authentic, you know, Africanized culture or, or, or curriculums? When we clamor for decolonized education, we are not in any way searching for a pre-colonial, a virgin pre-colonial past that is immune of any foreign influence. We've come into contact with other external influences that we cannot expel from our reality. What we are clamoring for, rather, is that in the present, we must be enabled by our own knowledge systems to be able to apprehend the modern reality. So the modern reality must not appear like a God-given truth. I think at present, what our institutions of higher learning, they basically foister on us, you know, the Western knowledge system, the modern Western knowledge system, as though it was a God-given truth. It's not a God-given truth. It was designed by human beings. And we have a right also to design our own truth. So the point I'm trying to make is that it's not a search for a return to a traditional past that is virgin of any foreign intrusion. That past we can no longer retrieve. But we must be able to shape the modern world in our own image. Now, if this sounds abstract, here is an example. If our languages were re-centered in these institutions. There are things that would become impossible. There are certain relationships that would become impossible. And gain to zero in on my example. Think of 
the relationship between the black middle class and South Africa. Often, you go to the homes of the black middle class where children relate to elderly people in a manner that is very foreign to African cosmology. And so when children say things to their parents that in the presence of a visitor appear disrespectful and rude, and the parents want to turn against the children, I often intervene and say, no, you are being unfair to the kid. If the kid was talking to you in Isizulu, in Sitonga, they would not find the resources with which to address you in that way because in Isizulu, Ubaba has no name, you don't know your father's name, you can't call your father's name or your mother's name or any elderly person. So, languages are not just a means of communication, they structure relations. So that's the point we are making about the fact of retrieving from our knowledge system things that would help us in the modern world encounter the modern world in a much better way. Even our everyday relations are informed by other people's cultures, which is something we could easily address if we recentered our language. No, it absolutely does make sense, Dr. Lushabene. I think for me, it then brings me to the question about purpose, that should we be asking whether or not there is synergy in our visions philosophically as Africa, as Africans, whether here or from the diaspora, uh, on what the role of these institutions are and what they're there to achieve. It's fairly obvious that there is no consensus on what they should achieve. We've simply accepted them wholesale. Otherwise, the continued domination of the continent by the West, if these institutions were in the service of African people, would long have said that these institutions actually produce Africans that are turned away you know, from themselves. These institutions produce Africans who become self-hating, who think that success you know, comes when you turn against everything African. The first point would be to say that how do we imagine a different kind of intellectual landscape in the continent, one that you know takes us towards a more liberated continent? And the question would be, do these institutions help us in that project? My, my suspicion is that if we ask that question and answer it honestly, we will all agree that these do not in any way help us, you know, towards that. Because one of the things that has not happened, we think of universities, as African people, we think of universities as places where we go to retrieve already existing knowledge in order to be employable. We don't think of universities as places where we must go and produce knowledge, knowledge that will then shape society. That right, we think, is reserved for other people, specifically for European and white people. Once we reclaim that right to go to these institutions and think of ourselves as agents, producers of knowledge, but just not producers of knowledge for knowledge's sake, knowledge that can then shape society, then we'll be able to make these institutions, put them to the service of our our people and our countries and our societies. But at present, you can even see the relationship between these universities and societies where they are located. I teach at the University of Cape Town, but I've seen this throughout the continent. Universities have no relationship whatsoever with the communities where they are located. If you think of it, what's the relationship between University of Cape Town and Kailicha and Kukuletu, you know, and Gwalanga? None whatsoever. In fact, if you took students from these universities and said, let's go to Kukuletu, Kailicha, they'd no longer have the resources to be there. They can't adapt in those spaces in the very communities where they are supposed to go back and work. And this is true across the continent. You know, once people
people have gone to universities, they are no longer able to cohabit with their own people, have intelligible, you know, exchanges with their own people. How then are they going to resolve the problem of those communities if they can't even converse with them? So in your view, how do we change that, that donor-client dependency? And I'm talking even from a governmental level, whether it's the academic oligarchy itself and... The, the demands of a society, how do you balance those competing needs and, and priorities? Well, they're not competing priorities. Universities in Europe serve society. There's no other competing demand on them. They serve the European society. They produce knowledge that advances European societies or Western societies. There's no other competing demand. You know, why is it that in our universities there has to be a competing demand? You know, what else should you do? These universities are sustained, remember, through the public press. You know, people in Kailicha and Kukule to pay VET every day. That's the VET that pays our salaries in these institutions. That's the VET that maintains, you know, the walls of these institutions. So who else should they serve other than those people? But how do we change that? If you go to France, if I wanted to go and teach in France, the first thing I would have to be able to do is to speak French. There's no way I can hope to go and teach in France without being able to speak French. There's no way I can hope to go teach in Germany without speaking German. But in our universities, there's something odd. People come here, they spend donkey years, they can't speak a single indigenous language. How do you... So people sit in France, sit in Germany, they think, I can go to Africa and teach in Africa. It doesn't occur to them that they will be asked, you know, do you speak any indigenous African language? No. You know, we are like, we are like you know, an open hallway. People walk in and walk out. We don't impact on them. They come to impact on us. Now, that, that asymmetry has to stop. When we ask, why is it that this Tosa is not a language of instruction in Cape Town? Then they tell us money. Do you imagine Chinese people tell you that, you know, well, we can't teach you in Chinese because... It's expensive. We must be an odd character. We must be an odd kind of people who don't have money for their own languages, but who demand a decolonized university, you know, or a decolonized culture or decolonized curriculum. Why is it that we depend for expertise? The continent has to depend on Western people. So whether it is in South Africa or elsewhere, Quickly, when these countries are in, in trouble, when, you know, specialists are required in whatever field, these expertise come in a certain reality. It has to be white. We have to create, in a critical mass, our own intellectuals. Now, intellectuals are not people who have certificates so that they earn cheap salaries. Intellectuals are people who use knowledge to the development of their own society. And that's exactly what I was drilling down to, the the autonomy of it. If we're going to talk about uh, knowledge production uh, that's generated through research and communicated to the public, whether it's via teaching or publications, it's those competing priorities, whether it's, uh, you know, between the capitalist system and the actual intention. How, how do we gain autonomy as a people to be able to dictate that final outcome? If you have a self-respecting government, um, again, to use South Africa as an example, if you had a self-respecting government tomorrow, if you had a self-respecting minister of higher education tomorrow, it would take ink on paper to pass a law 
to say that our education system, first and foremost, must produce X number of intellectuals in a certain, you know, who have a certain outlook. Just as white people decided that we're not fit for mathematics, it was a political decision. They, they did not compete. The markets did not stop them. No one else said, no, you cannot. It simply is a political decision. You require self-respecting people who know the value of or the integrity of their own, you know, modes of cognition to simply take a decision. One, we have to produce, we have to decide that we lack our own intellectuals. So what do we do? You can't have a university of Cape Town that every year graduates PhDs, but in that, you know, cohort, there is less than 5% of black South Africans in that cohort. It can't be. In a society where we constitute 86% of the population and in a society where we are the you know, majority of taxpayers, in fact, we don't even need to be taxpayers, in a society where we are the majority. Now, it doesn't, it, it, if government said to UCT, we're going to give you funding. But the condition is that 86% of your graduates must be black South African, just as it is that these are the demographics of the country. That's all it will take. The, the sky will not fall. No one is going to say that you can't do it. It requires a political decision. And then in time, we would have enough intellectuals. Because here is the problem. For as long as we don't have our own intellectuals, we're going to fantasize about these black knowledges. These black knowledges are with our own people. Notions of traditional medicine are with our own people in, in rural areas. They don't speak English. So if we want to retrieve that knowledge from them and make it widely available to circulate, we have to be able to speak with them. Now, when our languages are dying, how are we going to retrieve that, language, that knowledge? Or how are we going to retrieve other cultural knowledges that are only available in our indigenous languages? So people here continue romanticizing every day. We are, com- we are committed you know, to reconstituting knowledges in the image of black people. How are you going to reconstitute them? We are going to reconstitute, you know, uh, Swana knowledge in English. And here we don't need people who just speak language. We need medical doctors who speak our languages so that when they go to encounter those medical practices, they will be able then to translate the knowledge they have, you know, into indigenous language. So we are not here, and because people think that all we need are people who speak languages, we need our languages languages of science.